Welcome back to Desire to Inspire. It's your mama's favorite podcast. Got Freddie here, as always. And then we got fellow BPN ambassador, my boy Nick Adams. What's up, bro? What's going on, Nick? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. This is uh this is gonna be an interesting one because usually like we have I feel like well, okay, not we. I bring on the guests typically. So I usually like have some kind of rapport <laughs> with them. But uh we've only like chatted through DMs. You've never really like sat down and had a conversation. So I'm excited to kind of like get to know you on camera. It's a different vibe, but I'm looking forward to it, man. No, for sure, man. I'm looking forward to um to sharing. I always tell people sometimes it's one of my greatest strengths, but also my greatest weakness is I talk too much, you know? Well, <laughs> that's what podcasts are for, dude, so you're good. Yeah, for sure. But if you want to kind of just give, like, a brief overview of who you are, I'm sure we'll dive a little deeper here soon, but just so that people can kind of get to know you on the front end. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, I, Like stated before, my name is Nick Adams. I'm originally from Odessa, Texas, uh, Friday Night Light Country. If you know, you know. A um, little bit about me, I enlisted to the Air Force early on, like right after high school. Been there for about seven and a half years, going on eight. Spent most of my time overseas, uh, many different countries. I've been to over 20 of them. Uh, I was in Korea, Germany. When I was stationed in Germany, that's when I did all my a lot of my traveling. Uh, Turkey and everything else in between. Uh, now I'm stationed in Texas. and um, Yeah, that's a little brief summary about me. Oh yeah, Freddie's actually uh, thinking about going to Turkey soon. So that's that's, that's okay. ironic. Istanbul. <laughs> He's I, going uh, uh, wherever they do hair transplants. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say I, I'm right there with you, man. I literally hey, you clearly. I literally thought about it so much while I was there, but I got there in February 2020, and then a week later, COVID hit and the world shut down. So, oh, nice! Oh, damn. The whole yeah, time I was I'm... there, like I couldn't. I'm going to do it. It's not a matter of if I'm going to do it, it's just when. I'm either going to do it at the end of this year, the beginning of next year. So I'm debating. Well, not debating. I'm just up in the air right now if I'm going to be going to Italy in August. If I do that, then I'll probably wait till the following Whoa, year. dude. You told me we had a trip to talk about. And you haven't even – you're going to drop it on like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if the Italy trip happens, um, then Turkey's going to have to wait. But I definitely mm -hmm. want to do it within the next year or so. Um, where preventative maintenance. Where the Amalfi Coast is going to be one of the okay. destination points, um, and like all of the touristy spots around, like that area, okay. we haven't pinpoint all of the details. Um, but we have one of my buddies um, and his girl are going, and they invited us to go. So we're kind of just trying to iron out the details when that can happen um to then lock in the different destination points in italy but if you got any recommendations man definitely open for it i was gonna say i've been to italy uh rome is definitely overhyped if you would have said rome i probably would have hung up okay no, i'm just kidding but uh one of the best cities i haven't been to that coast that fancy island or like that they always see in pictures but my favorite city i've been to milan been to rome was florence florence okay. is literally like because it's more small. It's a big city, but it's more small town feel. It's less touristy. So, like, you really feel Italy. Um, so, that's always my rec recommendation to people who okay. visit Italy is Florence, for sure. All right. Definitely. We'll have to check it out. How's the food in Italy? Is it uh, match it's, up to the hype? It's really good. Uh, 
I believe. But it's going to shock you how different it is. It's a lot more healthier okay. than you'd expect. You know, we think of like Italian food. We go get lasagna and this fat pastas and stuff. Like there's less cream. More of the sauces are a lot less thinner. Okay. You know what I mean? They're more soupy because they're more healthy. You know what I mean? Yep. You don't have all this cream and, and sugar. You Everything's know, like, homemade. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They use a lot of brown pasta. Not everywhere, but there's less like of the refined carbs for sure. Okay. Um, but I still enjoyed it. Some of the best pizza I ever had was in Italy. So you oh. enjoy it. It's just different, you know? Yeah. It's okay. not American. It's not Olive Garden. <laughs> What's uh Nick, what's one thing that you learned? I mean, being in 20 different countries, traveling the world at such a young age, what's like one thing you've taken away from that or kind of started to appreciate in life um, from seeing all those different areas? Yeah, man. Um, I've also been to Kenya. Uh, oh, wow. Out there, so I've seen uh, a lot of poverty. So definitely appreciation for uh, from that aspect. But I would say I'll leave a nugget that's like good. It's like pillars. I guess I learned from seeing different uh, countries is there's culture, there's food, there's nightlife, and there's like environment, right? There's these different pillars that I always like, I guess, divided each country in. And what you learn by going to different places is certain places have better nightlife. You know, certain places have better sightseeing, certain places have better food, certain places... You know what I mean? That's what makes up culture. So I, I guess, I guess you could say I just learned a lot about culture, mm-hmm. you know, and the way different people go about their day to day lives. Um, I tell people all the time, like they want to go to Switzerland, right? Oh, it looks amazing, so beautiful. I love Switzerland, but if you want to go to Switzerland and you're not an outdoors person, like legitimately outdoors, it's probably not the place for you because the population's older. There's a lot of like bankers out there, like legitimately. So you're not going to find a, a decent bar or a club or nothing like that. You're going to just go and sightsee or snowboard or do outdoor stuff. Okay. You know, so so I guess culture from country to country is what I what I really learned the most. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that you brought up poverty because, I mean, as Dylan and I um, grew up in the same hometown, like not many of our friends or families have like gotten to explore outside of Lorraine, let alone outside of the country to see how different people, different countries live. I just got back from Honduras um, on a cruise with my family and going there, Dylan was like, How's, how was the vacation, man? Tell me about it, this and that. And I was like, dude, I came back from that vacation a better person than I went because like seeing how they live in Honduras and seeing um, the things they do and what they appreciate even though what they have to go through in order to do them was just like so eye-opening to me from their trash system, which is pretty much non-existent to the way they have to trans uh, transportation to and from work, how often they get to work, the food they get, just their appreciation of their land, even though to us as Americans, it doesn't seem like they have a lot because it's run down. It's this, it's that we as Americans classified as this, where they're like, she was so happy our tour guide to tell us like, yeah, we just got our first Wendy's on here and we have this being built and we have that. And so they're so appreciative of just life and like the opportunity to just kind of like exist and be present in the world where we get so caught up. And I know this conversation probably will bring up some of these points, but like we get so caught up in technology, we get so caught up in what other people are doing. We get so caught up in comparing ourselves and they're, they're happy that they get to go to work the one day a week. So that way they can provide for their family and stuff. And so 
the poverty that I saw in Honduras really opened my eyes to be like, you know what, even when life is bad, it's not bad and figure out a way to make it great and get through it with a good attitude. Because I mean, we struggle here in the US enough, but look at these other countries and the stories and the history that they're going through to make their life amazing in their situation. For sure. Well said, well said. So yeah, it was cool. That's, uh, I, that's why I'm excited to travel just to, like you said, see Italy, how they live. Um, I want to go to Machu Picchu. That's like one of my dream vacations yeah. to hike it. And so may, Dylan, maybe we can do that one together. Um, but yeah, just to see the world, man, there's so much out there to see. So I'm jealous that you got to see so much at a young age. Also Italians are the worst drivers out of all the European countries I've been to Italians worst drivers easily, easily. Did you well, drive? I don't think you have there? a big Italian demographic, so at least somebody's going to take a first to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did. Not every trip, but we went to Milan, which is like obviously northern Italy, and we drove there. And uh, yeah, I remember driving to our Airbnb, and the tram, like the train, is on the road, like normal roads. It's like these cobblestone roads. So, like, people. The what Italians do, they just drive up on the sidewalk, like and let the train pass and then get back on the road. But it's all cobblestone, right? So, so I remember the train coming like at us, and there's no lines, it's cobblestone. It's not like you know what I mean. So, we're yeah. like five minutes away from our Airbnb trying to like look at the GPS, you know, and then they're like, dude, train, train, train. And I'm driving, he's like, move out the way. So, I'm trying to like pull out off the way and there's people on the sidewalk it was like the most stressful situation i've ever been in my life <laughs> luckily the train I, didn't for this. definitely don't drive by there freddie <laughs> yeah no <laughs> that's what that just told me yeah oh shit that is funny um so really I'll, i'm gonna get off of travel freddie unless you have more on travel nope all right cool uh so I think that what really like drew me to wanting to have you on the podcast was a reel that you posted recently. And it's crazy. Like the amount of information you can kind of get these days in like a minute, like the way that people put stuff together. So I literally, before I even actually come, I sent that reel to Freddie. I was like, yo, like, I think we need to have this dude on. And it looks like what you're doing, like with your community, with just people online is like, you're striving to have an impact. So I kind of want to talk about like what that was like for you. I know you said that you were, in Turkey when it happened, but like when the world kind of shut down, what you went through mentally, physically during that time and like how it's transformed you to now. So I'm trying to think before I answer that question, which real? Uh, it's the one uh, like about how like uh, when the world shut down, like you were partying. Okay, okay, that. okay, 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 okay. That yeah, one, yeah, yeah. So the military culture is already like a drinking party culture, you know, yeah. go hard or go home. So when I explain this, it's not like I was never, I stopped like ever working out. Like I always right. try to be active, always try to move. But when I got to Turkey, that had been my fourth base, which is not typical. Most people, they move like every two to three years. I had moved four times in five. Right? Damn. So, or five and a half going on six. So that had been like, a whirlwind for me. So I was already like kind of in a in a rut. I get to Turkey and the world stops. So before um, COVID, Turkey, 
the base that I was at. So Istanbul and like tourist Turkey is west. We were on like the far east side of Turkey, kind of like a about 200, 300 miles from Syria. So because of, I want to say the geographic location, the base was already closed. So imagine like maybe a large, large apartment complex, right? That's what we were living on pre-COVID. So imagine not being able to leave an apartment complex pre-COVID. Boom, COVID hits. Uh, they take away the gym. They take away everything. You know what I mean? The one restaurant we had on base. So literally, we just sat in our rooms all day. And then... It's wild that they take that away when you're already secluded to just you guys anyway. It's not like people are coming or going. Like, why not just yeah. let you guys continue living the way you were living? Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with, even though we're technically like U.S. like base, right? Like soil. We're in the country of Turkey. So whatever yeah. they govern goes. And it's like that for other overseas. It was like that for all overseas. So if you're in Germany, whatever the country of Germany says goes. You know, uh, we followed CDC guidelines on base, whatever they said. But if Turkey was like, hey, you're not opening this restaurant, that restaurant wasn't going to be open. You know, it's kind of like state to state thing. You know, like yeah. certain things in California, certain things in Texas. So it, it sucked, dude. And guess what? The only thing that was open 24-7 was where you can buy liquor. That was it. The gas station. Literally. So what did I mean, we do? Kind of thank God at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we worked, and I worked night shift like my whole time there. So that didn't help either, you know? Because then it's not daytime. You can't... I mean, you could be outside, but who's outside, you know, in the moonlight? Right. Like bathing in the moon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was just bad, man. And it wasn't just me. Like, there was a bunch of us who, and I don't even have a family of my own. Like, I don't have kids. I'm not married. But there was people there that were married that, you know, couldn't wait to get back home to their kids and, and to their wives and or husbands. And it was just a whirlwind shit show. And we all drank often. Now, this wasn't like, hey, I'm going to drink every single day like I'm an alcoholic. It was like... Okay, it's our weekend coming up. We're gonna we're gonna drink and go hard. And yeah. it got to a point where I was just like so disgusted with myself. But then what do you do? You know, I wasn't a runner. I don't like being like, you know, like if you're so used to going and pumping iron, what do you do in that situation? And it wasn't until after I left where I realized um that 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 part of my life was so I guess bad and and I had to flip a switch and what really did it for me while I was there was waking up and not really remembering much of that night and waking up next to 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 a partner I guess you could say not somebody I was with but somebody I didn't want to be with right and I was like oh and then asking a question like you know did you know, do we sleep together? She's like, yeah, you don't remember, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, this, this, this is no, you know? Yeah. And that was like a really hard pill for me to swallow because I feel like a person had taken advantage of me, but it was also a lot of blame. I put a lot of blame on myself for like, you know, putting myself in that position, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I mean... I've been in a similar situation, so I could definitely relate. 
I it wasn't during COVID, but like I kind of went through some shit, got myself in the same kind of predicament where it just kept going on and on. But I don't think my switch was flipped that easily. So is it like from that moment for you, like, all right, let's let's get this shit together? No, man. And that's I think that's also the beautiful thing about it. So I leave Turkey, I go to San Antonio, I get stationed there. And I buy a house there. Things are going good. I'm finally back in the States after six and a half years at this point, being overseas. And I'm from Texas, so it felt good. I got, you know, my sisters live in San Antonio, so that was good to be around them. And it actually, like, was worse because I was in a better environment as far as where I wanted to be, but my mentality hadn't switched yet, right? I was still, like, you know, sprinkles of me, like, being in Turkey was still there because... I was like, I'm finally, I guess, free. I don't want to say free, yeah. but you know what I mean? I'm finally, anyway. Yep. I still kind of went through two or three months of just, like, uh, debauchery, I guess you could say is the word. And then I get orders again, which doesn't happen, but I got orders again because I retrained into a new job, which is, like, that doesn't happen every day. I got lucky that I got uh, retrained out of my old job into a new job. So I get stationed at Shepherd, which is like right outside of Dallas, right? It's about an hour outside of Dallas. That's where I'm that's where I'm at now. And I've been here for about almost two years. When I got here, this was my fifth move in seven years. And dude, now I'm like really I'm in a new job. So like I'm learning things, a new base, everything was a shit show. And I go to the gym with one of my coworkers who's a big gym rat. Right. And I remember doing a workout and it was a sick leg workout. And I walked out of there just like I couldn't walk. It was so great, right? It was a good pump. And I walked out of there just still like in this depressed, like down spiral. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. So I called my old man and uh David Goggins, uh I think his second book was getting ready to drop. Like it was still like waiting to drop a couple months down the line so i was talking to my dad about that and he was like hey you ever thought about running a marathon because he knows who david Goggins is i said no hell no why would i do that (laughs) and that thought and that fear uh stuck with me throughout that night so i slept on it woke up the next morning and i signed up for a marathon i didn't even like have a training program uh i literally just found I, I said six weeks. In six weeks, I will run a marathon. And I Googled. Oh, yo, uh, that is a crazy <laughs> amount of time for you to be like, I don't run at all until I'm running a marathon in six weeks. <laughs> but, dude, when, when when you do it, you do it, you know? And I think it was I think it was the fear of how I answered the question when I got asked. You know? Hey, have you ever thought about it? I didn't get asked, hey, have you, you should run one. Hey, sign up for a marathon. Have you ever thought about it? And the thought of it made me so insecure, so fearful that I was like, this is not going to happen. I said, this is not who I am. This is not what I represent. And that morning I signed up. And that's when the the switch flipped. But it had to work up to that. You know? Uh, So that was definitely the turning point for me. Have you always had that, my bad, have you always had that feeling of like, uh, like this isn't who I am? Have you always felt like you were held to a different standard then? Like, cause even like through all that shit, or was that something that kind of came over time? 
Yes, I always held myself to a high standard. Um, just a little bit of backstory before the military. Growing up in Odessa, Texas, like Friday Night Lights is a, is a real big ordeal. Like I actually played in Ratliff Stadium. I played quarterback in high school. And uh, that was a lot of pressure as a kid. You know, we used to play not every game, but like, you know, the rival games and like homecoming and stuff like that. There'd be like 10,000, 12,000 people in the stands. You know? And you're in the paper and every, they criticize everything you do. And you're like a 17 year kid, you know? And I learned real quickly about that kind of like accountability and how it could be a good thing, but also putting too much pressure on yourself where you could down spiral. And I think that's where I kind of got that. um, I don't want to say ease of access, but that mentality of how easy it is to down spiral. But on the flip side of that, it's easy to up spiral same way as like signing up for a marathon you know so i've always held myself to a high standard and i think that's why that year and some change in turkey really like affected me but also set me up for a good comeback damn how uh i mean i know you said that you did like a leg day workout before that but like what was your physical stature condition like um the day you signed up for that marathon so the crazy thing is Pretty much the strongest I had ever been, for sure, but in the worst way. And it had to do with just because of how much I weighed. I was like 209. I definitely wasn't overweight by any means. I was still steady in the gym every day, taking protein, taking this, uh, or not taking this, but taking my proteins, getting my macros in. <laughs> well, <But>. shoot, shoot. <laughs> not this. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. no. Uh, not at all, not at all. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh but um but yeah i was i was i was in like i guess powerlifting shape but i could tell in my face you know love handles like this is easily the biggest i've ever i'd ever been now to yep. the average joe uh you'd be like dude what are you complaining about like you yep. look great you know but yep. knowing what you're capable of and stuff like that it's like i i, I did let myself go you know is your dad a uh, a runner? Is he very active, or what made him even the same thing as soon as he brought it up? Not at all. Not even a little bit. Not even okay. a little bit. He was a football uh, player as well growing up when he was young. He played like Division two football, but after that, nope, no endurance, none of that. I wasn't either. Never. Not until like the beginning of two thousand twenty two. It was when I ran my first marathon, January 2022. Did you ever ask him why that was a question he asked you when you went to him? Well, yes. So he asked me that because I was talking about him. He was like, you love David Goggins so much. Why don't you go run him? Okay. But he didn't say it in that moment. He just yeah. asked mm-hmm. the question. But after the fact, I asked, I was like, why did you ask me if I ever ran a marathon? He was like, you talk about this man so much. Why don't you marry him? Like, you know, he was just talking, talking <laughs> trash. You know what I mean? But. He was like, you're so passionate. He could hear it in my voice. And he knows, like, he knows me very well. It's like, once you have your mind stuck to something, nothing else matters until that gets done, you know? Yep. And that that's kind of why the question had came up. So you did it six weeks later? I did, yeah. Did what you complete it? Training like? Like, how, what do you jump from zero to how much in like a week and then two weeks like that's a crazy training plan people so do like we, 16 weeks so we started three miles every other day uh it was treadmill and track um 
just so on my feet, you know, it's good for your for your body not to always run on uh, mm-hmm. cement, especially. You always want to mix it up. But we did that, but threes, and then we went up to fours the next week, and then fives, and then we stayed at fives, so five miles every other day. And I learned a lot during those six weeks because I actually overdid it, obviously. But it wasn't early on. It was actually closer to the race. It was week four. I um, I was running so hard. And when I say running so hard, I was hitting all of my training programs. What I learned was the consistency was so much more important than the intensity. Mm-hmm. And Damn, I like that. <laughs> and, I like that. And what I, what I mean by that is I've always had like ankle problems due to like football, but I never had knee problems ever. And my knee week four was aching. But I was like, dude, nah, you just got six miles today. Just get it. And I remember just stopping and I just had to walk because it was like hurting so bad. And I didn't really know what was wrong. So what that did for me is it helped me like reel it back in. And during this Ironman prep, what what, what it did just to kind of uh, foreshadow a little bit is it helped me realize that show it show up every day there hasn't been a day where i had a run a bike or a swim where i did not show up but also knowing the difference between like going one more and listening to your body so i i i I know now just of how much i've ran how much i swam of this hurts just stop compared to this hurts bro push it push through yeah Yeah. you know what i mean so I really learned that with running because it is very, very taxing on your body. What and was your what? longest run then before you actually ran the marathon? 18. Okay. So you yeah, got up there. I was like, you said like you kept it at fives. I'm like, did he just stay at five this whole time <laughs> and just bust out another 21? No, so again, my consistency of I ran every other day. Like when I got to week four, it was six miles every other day. And okay. then week five, but the beginning of week five, uh we did 18 miles Damn. And then we took Jesus. two days after and then went back to six like you know and yeah, then that's a lot man week six was like taper week and then week seven was was mm-hmm. day. yeah did you have Damn. uh did you have anybody doing this with you to like motivate you to help you get through it or were you just using david goggins in your head to to push through we were taking souls the entire time Nobody. It was just me. <laughs> um, but I will say this, uh, and I forgot to mention this. The running coincided with me going to therapy as well. So when I started training for the running, I started going to therapy. And that helped me so much. It, it running really, I, tell, I, I say this, I've said this in the past, running really saved me. And I think it saved me because when I was starting therapy, I had all of these like traumas in my head and, you know, people I've lost, um, who I was, blaming myself. Like, there's so many things that, as men especially, we shove under the table that when you go for a run, you you can't hide that. I don't yeah. care if you're listening to music or if you listen to a book or a podcast. Your thoughts are going to go all over the place. You're going to think about good things. You're going to think about bad things. You're going to think about everything in between. So if there's issues, you got to deal with them on that run. And if you don't, mentally deal with them and if you don't and you run tomorrow they're gonna come up again and then you run the next day they'll just keep coming up and keep coming up and 
it helps you bring all of those problems to the surface compared to just ignoring them and then them pop it up later at the worst time. I like that. I mean, Dylan and I talk a lot and we try and be like vulnerable and just like speak our truth as well, because I think a lot of people still hide that like mental side of things is like, it's okay to fucking struggle. It's okay to not want to go to the workout, but like the gym, like for running for you, the gym saved my life. Like hands down in 2019, the gym saved me. And that's where I got this like passion around DTI and getting with Dylan and being like, dude, we have something. I see what you're doing now. This is my vision. What do you think? Is this something that we could go in together with and grow this to then affect so many people? Um, because I think, actually, I know that there is such a big gap between mental and physical health. And so how can we help build that bridge to make people understand that you don't need to go all out every single day of the week to see change, but you just start implementing different habits into your lifestyle and it starts compounding and things get better. Um, so with all of that, have you always been open about talking about therapy or like that struggle point that you had, or is it more recent that you Def definitely more recent, man. Uh, when I started therapy, therapy really changed my life. Cause I think people have, or at least the way, like the cognitive therapy that I've taken and that I've gone about it. I think people have this notion, um, based on Hollywood and just different examples of therapy being this place where you talk about your feelings. Hell no. The first day, maybe, because they have to get to know you and tell your story mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of get a contact. But after that, it is all hard work. Because what's going to happen is there's going to be, you know, you explaining your traumas and then working through those. That, that doesn't like, hey, it's going to be okay. Let me pat you on the back. Now, yep. my therapist, like, is always there for me, will never disrespect me, always listens, is empathetic. But this is the situation, this is how the brain works and they explain certain things specifically to you. And now this is how we're gonna work through that to become better. And what happens is in therapy, people get this victim mentality. Don't get me wrong, there's people that have brain chemical imbalances and stuff like that and are diagnosed mm -hmm. with certain, you know, bipolar and depression stuff like that but there's also ways to work through that and i think a lot of times just like the gym or just like running it takes hard work and therapy was still is the hardest thing i do mm -hmm. right i could go and run 26 miles tomorrow but sitting there for a two-hour therapy session is hard work because you get called out on your bs and you get called out on things that you could fix in your own life but in a respectful way to make you like reflect and really think about, oh, this is how I could be living better. This is how I could change the way I think, you know, yep. uh, it's pretty crazy. Do you do anything outside of uh, therapy for your mental health outside of like, I guess, transitioning from the physical side to the mental side? Like, do you journal? Do you meditate? Do you do any of those kind of things to also like clear the mind outside of the therapy sessions? Yeah. So I journal whenever it's like, I don't want to say anxious because I don't get like really, really anxious. But when I have like to say something, I will journal. So that's mm -hmm. one thing. Um, I'm a big, uh, big believer. Uh, Christianity is something near and dear to my heart. So uh, I'm really big on that. Every Sunday, uh, I make sure to go to service. And that that's something really near and dear to me. I think also too, my spirit talks. I just started doing those. I'm just helping. 
you know, using my my gifts and really, really just trying to spread um, awareness in any kind of way, especially in the mental health realm, is super important to me. And especially recently, people have have shown, you know, their appreciation. And I can't thank the people enough and getting this feedback and messages and DMs. I really like appreciate it and have been going extra hard, especially this last couple months. I actually saw one to I saw whatever one you posted today and I went back and listened to a few more. And like I think like that's a form of journaling. Like you're literally just talking like through everything. And so like for people who say I don't journal, I don't write, like I don't want to write down my feelings, like you don't even gotta post it, but just talk to a camera, like just yeah. saying it out loud is so much different than keeping it between your two ears, man. Like, cause yeah. it'll just bounce around in there and just keep you in the same spot. But just being able to let that out is dope. And I promise you, like the spirit talks are like one take. I literally, I don't like think about it. I don't practice it. I know like that sounds crazy, but I will literally like, whether it be the following day or that morning, I'll be like, you know, this is what I learned today, you know? And then I'll just say, think out loud. Like you said, I'm literally thinking out loud and I yeah. just say it. You know, yep. it comes to life. How was it when you started posting those? Were you uncomfortable um, kind of tailoring your message around like things that you've been through or things that you're working on or even a different realm of how people think? Yeah, um, I don't think it was uncomfortable. I think that was another switch that flipped. And this happened post Ambassador Weekend because I think whenever i was posting before ambassador weekend and i guess i'm trying to see how i can word this i guess before i was just trying to show your best side right as mm -hmm. as everyone in the social media right like you know i'm running i'm training for iron man like you can do this too you got this and i think once ambassador weekend came and having the opportunity to go down to austin and meet everybody in the team I just realized how great this com community is. And I I wanted to, not selfishly, but I wanted to find a way to stand out. And then as cliche as it sounds, and we always tell each other this, right, is the best way I can stand out is just being myself. And then the vulnerability already came with that because before that I was already going to therapy. So being vulnerable is very easy for me. I think once mm -hmm. you start, it's easy. Yep. So I just hadn't started it on social media. I was doing it in my regular life. I just hadn't started on social media. So once I started it, it, it really wasn't that difficult, man. And I'm so glad I did. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people struggle with though. Um, because social media, like you said, uh, like a community finding that, there is a side of social media that Dylan and I have luckily found, whether that's with a BPN community, whether that's with his community that he has on Twitter, the people that are reaching out, like thanking us for the stuff that we're doing that ultimately come in our community and we stay in contact. Um, it's having kind of the confidence to like start that because most people don't want the judgment that they think comes with it. They don't want um, the hate or the criticism. They don't want the comments. They don't want this. They don't want this that they kind of just forget to focus on themselves and be like, no, I have a story. I've went through something. I can help somebody. And even if it's one fucking person that you don't know at that time you help, if you stay consistent and you stay true to yourself, the passion is there, the vision's there, it comes naturally and authentically, 
people are going to start coming around and being like, like you said, I appreciate what you're doing. It got me started. Like Dylan and I received a text message today of somebody that got started um, stepping foot into the gym and doing it for 30 minutes today. And some people are out there and they would be like, who cares? Just go to the gym, blah, blah, blah. But then there's a mass majority of people in the US or people worldwide, whatever you want to call it, that don't have that confidence to do something like that because they were never taught it. They were never, it wasn't around for their upbringing and things. And so it takes people like all of us to be a little bit vulnerable and tell our stories to motivate somebody else to do it. Because just like David Goggins was for you, Gary V was for me, like David Goggins, I have both of his books sitting here. I was going to hold them up, but I was like, I don't need to do that. I have both and read them. But all of those people motivated us to do this. Nick Bayer is another one that has motivated us to do this. Um, so there's so many people that they started, which made us start. And now hopefully we can make that impact of us starting can impact somebody else to come up from underneath us. And we start utilizing social media and this great tool that it can be instead of all of the negative publicity that it gets and all of the harm and bad that it can portray on people. Yeah, for sure. Two things to that real quick, I just want to add. The second thing, or first thing I want to say is, you know, what you kind of hit it a little bit is think about your favorite influencer, like workout, person, whatever online. Like, you know them. Like, you know them because they're vulnerable and, like, they mm-hmm. they, they tell you who they are. And the second thing, I was fortunate enough, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, I got bumped up to tier three, right? And Grace, uh, one of the leaders in the ambassador um, uh, community, she was uh, giving us a lesson on like social media and better ways to post. And she was talking about talking on your stories. It's important. And I was like, oh, I do like spirit talk. So I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something good, right? And I'm on my way. I'm learning. I'm still you know, in training. But then I had a person, uh, obviously I work on Air Force Base, I had a person, I was going through the gate in the gate guard. He knew me uh, just from the gym and stuff like that. He was like, hey man, I seen your Instagram. You're really like, you know, blowing up. Uh, do you have any tips? And this guy, bless his soul. He's like, I'm too cool for school. Like get on the bench press and like he'll record himself and post like that as a story, right? And I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to give it to you straight. I'm going to give it to you real. I said, do you know how many people on Instagram are posting their bench presses? You are not the only one. And you're not yeah. strong enough for any, you know, yeah. you know, and I was just being real, but he's stronger than me. I gave him that. But I was like, I was like, you want people to follow you? I said, they have to know you. I said, talk on your story. You know, I said, think about your favorite person, you know, in the gym. He was like, C-Bump. I said, you know who C-Bump is, right? Before you watched him bench press, you heard him speak, you know? And I was like, if you really want to change the game, make yourself more personable online so people get to know the real you. So when you do post a bench press video or something of a physical accomplishment, people are more invested because they know your voice. They know your message. They know your personality. Yep. That's it. It's being true. I feel like uh, it's easy to get caught up in like, what can I do to go viral or what can I do to uh, um, fit in on social media? And so we as creators or people that are posting on there, try and tailor it to somebody else's style instead of tailoring it to our style. Um, Because if we're constantly fighting to try and do what's working, 
and following somebody else's lead, then we're going to get burnout. In my opinion, that's how burnout happens is because like you're doing something that's not really who you are. And so tailoring the content, I mean, I just started these um, basics 100 and it's just habits in our day-to-day lives of what we can do to make our mental and physical states better. And like one of them is as simple as like folding your laundry right when it's done, like little habits that people push off that will make a huge impact if you don't wait or you don't um, procrastinate. And um, ever since I started doing that and started tailoring it to like messaging that I wanted to put out or videos, like we've seen traction and things are starting to pick up and like people are starting to reach out more. And like, we're just noticing some sort of like, I'm gonna call it an energy or whatever it is, like gravitating towards us. And we're getting more passionate about it because like I was telling you before we started recruiting is we kind of are finding that lane of what we wanted where last year we, uh, as I've alluded to on this podcast, we cleared the land. We had a flat piece of land that we were just putting a bunch of sticky notes up about Mm -hmm. what we thought we wanted to do, what we thought would work. And then at the end of last year, we got to really hone in on our crafts and be like, no, this is the direction we want to go. And Dylan and I are dude like, fuck yeah, this is it. This is what we want. And now we're starting to build that. And it's all this big funnel that we had is starting to get a little bit smaller, or more narrow to fit the niche or the um, demographic that we're trying to hit. Yeah. I think what's important about that is like not getting stuck in your ways. Like it'd be easier for us to be like, you know what? We've been at this for a year, like, fuck it. This is where I'm going to stay. But being able to, like, realize and pivot when, like, not even, like, just your ideas change. Like, when you change as a person, like, we're all going to evolve over time. And so, like, once we see, like, okay, maybe this isn't the lane for me. Like, having the self-awareness, like, you know what? I'm cool. I'm going to go over here now. I feel like even that is going to bring more people in because, like, oh, they're not just posting this because they feel like they have to. They're posting this because they genuinely want to. And when you post out of a desire to actually want to give somebody value, they're going to give a lot more back to you in return. Yeah. And one more piece of advice for anybody listening that helped me out a lot is record things. And if you don't want to, don't feel obligated to post right after you record something, you know, you let, let it sit, especially like Instagram, right? Nobody has a timestamp on it. You know, don't, I wouldn't want to post nothing like, like three or four years down the line, unless it's like, you know, uh, then and now, but you know, there's not initial timestamp. So it was something you did a month ago, you know, and you might come back to it and be like, Hey, I could chop this up, make it look nice and, and post it. But I'm always recording now and then just letting those videos sit. And then I'll go back at the end of the day and be like, Oh, did I like this? Did I not? Blah, blah, blah. And, and let it be now. Granted, there's some simple videos that, I'll post like right off the, the jump, you know, especially if I'm talking to the camera. But if it's like workout stuff, I'll like record and like maybe I'll chop it up. Maybe I won't. But like you said, Dylan, it puts less stress on you as a person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. I have a uh, one more question. I, we usually run these like 45 minutes to an hour, or even less than that sometimes. Um, so I wanted to ask this because I've thought about it ever since we jumped on um, initially. It was the first thing that stood out before I even connected my microphone. Um, But we've brought up community a few times in this. Uh, We've brought up having like people we look up to. uh, So like Goggins and stuff like that to find that motivation and um, the branding on you go one more BPN. um, What gravitated you towards that? What do you find in BPN? 
and how instrumental is whatever that messaging is, um, how instrumental is that to you to keep pushing in your dreams? And I ask this because I think community is the key in finding your why. And then once you find your why, you can excel and go in whatever area you want to in life. So I'm curious, since you have it on the hat and the shirt. <laughs> First of all, it's well said, right? Uh, you said that very well. Uh, one of the African proverbs, and it was like one of the themes for the BPN uh, Ambassador Weekend, the Austin Marathon. Uh, if you want to go far, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go to get, go together. And I think what BPN means to me, the community, it's just a culture like no other. What gravitated it towards me, quick little story, I was deployed out in Africa. I was in Kenya. And we were like on the border of Somalia, uh, you know, just making sure the insurgents out there weren't doing anything crazy. And we were stuck in a tower watching the grass grow in the middle of the jungle. Like we were really out there, no BS. And we have these big heavy guns. We just sit there in these chairs. And if anybody comes to the ridge line, we lock and load and we shoot them. But luckily nobody came for seven months I was there. And I had a, a guy I was stationed uh, with he was like hey man you ever heard of Nick Bear and I was like no he was like this is 2018 mm. yep he was like um he was like he's just challenged for the new year going into new year do you want to do it I said okay whatever the guy was a little huskier than me he was like it's push-ups I said okay how many push-ups we're doing and he was like I don't know if you're ready and I'm like getting all competitive I'm like bro I could do more push-ups than you like <laughs> And he's like, oh, it's 2019 push-ups going into New Year. Like, it's a challenge, just a 2019 push-ups. And I, I kind of hesitated. But then I was like, dude, if he's doing them, I'm doing them. So we had to sit there at this tower for 12 hours and watch a grass grow to protect the base, right? So we literally took turns. He'd watch the grass, and I'd, I'd do, like, we started with 50s. And then we got to, like, 250, and then obviously getting tired, so we broke it up into 25s. It took about five hours, but Damn. we finished all those push-ups. And that's how I got introduced to BPM. Okay. Always followed Nick Bear, always followed the brand. And then COVID hit in my turkey story. That's kind of when, I don't want to say I fell off with following them, but it's harder to follow somebody whenever you're not living the way mm -hmm. you're supposed to be living. So then I start the marathon training, and I go back and watch um, – uh, some of Nick Bear's like older content that I had watched, you know, 2018, 2019. And it got me re-inspired and I did the marathon. And then after the marathon, uh, like a couple days, maybe a week after that, a very close friend of mine who was in the service uh, took his own life. And it was at that time where I was like, I got to go bigger, go home. And I signed up for Ironman. And I went back and watched uh, Nick Bear's first Ironman. And then it really got the got the ball spinning, and we're ten day, eleven days. I'm just gonna ask. I know days, it's close. Eleven days out from my yeah. first Ironman, so I'm super excited about that. And so you're um, doing it for your friend and suicide awareness, then, correct? Yes. Uh, oh yeah. I was able to work with Objective Zero, which is a nonprofit organization that gives like it's kind of like um, y'all heard of BetterHelp. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like that, but for veterans. Uh, okay. It's free, you know, so veterans can go and download the Objective Zero app and like literally get counseling or community. They do Zoom calls like this, just of just like talking, 
you know, like round table circles, uh, round tables, I guess you could say. And I think we're at $1,900 we managed to raise so far. So oh, yeah. That's awesome, man. That's yeah, awesome. Super cool. That's dope. That's dope. Yeah, I'm definitely following that because that's real close. Yeah, BPM means a lot, man. So, yeah, that yeah. kind of just how, how the whole thing transcribed. For I sure. love that. So being that you have this drive, you have the story that you're telling, you have this life that you're living. If there was one thing you could change in the world or if there is one message that you could leave where everybody would listen to it or like take it in, what would that message be? Or like, what do you want your impact, I guess, to be at the end of the day on this amazing world that seems so fucked up at times that we live on? There's so many things. There's so many things. But my favorite quote that I have a tattoo across my chest would say would be trust your struggle. Right. So through mm. hard times, through through good times, just trust your struggle. Cause what's supposed to happen is supposed to happen. Um, that'd be my first thing. But if there was one thing I would try, I don't want to say convince, but like message out to people is mm-hmm. the way you think about things is everything and i learned that just simply going through therapy and cognitive like research uh because i was a down spiraler you know and i think people don't talk to themselves good enough they don't give themselves enough grace they're not kind to themselves uh i said this on one of the spirit talks like i think yesterday we're so mean to ourselves we get we're so hard on ourselves but we wouldn't if we talk to our best friend the way we talk to ourselves, we wouldn't have any friends because we'd be so rude and so disrespectful, right? So if there was one message I could leave out to people, it would be the way you think about things can change your entire life in an instant. Prime example, too, uh, is like when people, I hate this phrase, I hate this phrase when people say, that's just how my brain works. Like people be like, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get it. I just, I mean, my brain doesn't work that way. I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Your brain doesn't work there. So you're saying that you're so incapable that forever you're just gonna yeah. think this type of way. And the best way I can explain it is, I had a friend who's going through a divorce while I was going through it when I first started my marathon training, and he called me. No, I called him uh, while I was running. Uh, and I was breathing hard and I was dying. This was when I first started training, right? I was like, dude, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And he was like, man, thank you for calling me. He was like, I wish I could get on your level and do what you're doing. But I literally uh, almost, uh, he's like, I literally last night I, I grabbed, I bought some rope. I bought a bunch of stuff and I was going to end end it last night, right? And he was like, your phone call literally changed my trajectory and then i know that's deep right then we started talking about okay uh he was like i don't know how i can get on your level what you're doing how you're running all this stuff and he doesn't know at this time i didn't share my story turkey i mean my my story in turkey so he doesn't know Mm -hmm. everything that i've been through and i said he sees the good side yeah and i said i said bro let me tell you this i said you got to take your wins where you can get them. And this reverts back to how, what, what I'm saying about how you think. I said, you woke up today. I said, did you brush your teeth? He said, yes. I said, did you make your bed? He said, I'm going to go do that right now. 
I said, those are wins. You're thinking about those as daily routines. You're thinking about me going on a run as this big mountain to climb. I said, your mountain right now is doing the daily task, right? And that is not better or worse than anything anybody else is doing. But you got to think about the wins and how you see them. Because yesterday, right, you were in bed all day because you're depressed. It's okay. I've been there, right? So today, let's make our bed. Let's brush our teeth. Let's do the daily functions and count that as a win. And maybe tomorrow we can go for a run. You know, and Mm -hmm. I was able to help him change the way he thought about his own life. And so if there was any message, I know that was a long spiel, but if there's any message I could tell people is the way you think and your perspective on everything can literally change your entire life in an instant. Oh, yeah. Boom. (laughs) Mic drop. I don't care if nobody listens to anything but that last five minutes. Um, because that show is powerful. And I think it all starts with that. I mean, the way we talk to ourselves, our, yeah. our own communication internally. So mm-hmm. yeah, that put the, hit the nail on the head. We do that. Sure. We do that more than, than any other conversation all day. You know? Yeah. You're, you're yeah. constantly talking to yourself. And if 90% of your entire day is negative about how you feel about you, how can you go out and project any positivity? And if you do, it's probably fabricated positivity, which is even worse because then you're putting on, you know, a facade and yeah, yeah. it's just like a down spiral. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Damn. This has been great, guys. I want to thank you guys so much. Um, just real quick, uh, if you do want to follow me at Nick Views, also in my bio, um, you'll have the GoFundMe uh, with Objective Zero certified nonprofit. All the money goes directly to them. I don't see a literal dime. It goes through PayPal. So uh, I don't see any money. But if you would like to donate to anybody listening, it would mean the absolute most. Uh, 11 days out from this recording, Ironman, Texas. This comes out in two days. So you they got time to get it in. Yeah, for Y'all sure. better go donate. So it's super excited. Thank you guys again. It means absolute most. You are killing it. And yeah, I can't say thank you enough. Appreciate you, man. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you for jumping on. And uh, Dylan and I, we've always talked about having like reoccurring guests or people back on. Um, And I know the closer that we all get and like, uh, I'll call it a friendship now um, because that's what it's going to be. We need to stick together. So that way these messages, these stories can keep getting put out. And uh, we motivate each other on those hard days because we're going to have those hard days where it's like, "Ah, I don't want to post today or I don't want to put a story out today. And it's like, nope, I saw Dylan or Freddie. I'm going to do it and motivate each other to keep going. So I appreciate you telling some of your story. I'm excited to hear more of your story. Um, And I'll definitely start following this journey that you're on, man. I appreciate you jumping on. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Till next time. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. All right. As you all know, have the desire to inspire. It's your mama's favorite podcast. We love y'all. It's all. Peace.